0: And welcome to Sideshow. Joe, I had no idea you could sing that well.
1: Neither did I. That
0: was really impressive. Thank Uh, you. You're welcome. I mean, everything about that is just surprising and shocking. Uh, Right. Your talent's... Never ending.
1: Non ceasing.
0: And uh and with that we'd like to welcome our buddy Dave uh to the podcast. Dave of the Rationales. Um Dave, I, Dave, did you like the way I played and sang? It this was now? amazing.
2: It was inspiring. In fact, it gave me a song idea.
0: Oh okay. go ahead, please. Thank you. <laughs> uh Lendro show for, uh, to the to the three people listening, Dave. Yes. Mom, this is Dave. Go ahead. Hi mom. <laughs> so uh yeah, hi everybody. Uh
2: what do you want me to say? That's it. <laughs> right. Good night.
0: All yeah. right. Uh- yeah. So so, this is the first time we, we've we've tried having uh, a person with any musical ability on the show at all. Oh, whatsoever. come on! Now you play the spoons like nobody <laughs> I've ever seen. Nobody's business. Uh, but but our buddy Dave is here on Sideshow. Dave has a gig tonight at the Middle East Cafe. Everybody has to go. Joe and I will be going there. Uh, we'll be moshing in the front row. Maybe you know, uh, bring the significant others. Uh, but Dave has been um, in the music scene in Boston forever. I, I think ever ever in two days. Two days. days. Yeah. Dave's band has. So tell us a little bit about the new release. Is this a song that you just played off the new release? Give us a little background.
2: Uh, that song wasn't actually. That's one of the older songs. Um, figured I'd save the you know the, the new good stuff for okay. later. But yeah, so the band's the Rationals. Uh, we've been around for about ten years, different members, but it's been like five years with the lineup we have now, and uh, this is our fourth. Release is coming out tonight at uh, the Middle East,
0: and uh, so we're really excited about it. So when I was telling Joe, it's like you know, hey, we were getting together a few weeks ago, going over the schedule. I'm like, you know, my buddy Dave, who who's, he's met you before because you played with us for a yeah. while. I mm-hmm. see um, he has a CD release coming out, and Joe's like, they. St- still have CD releases. And we were like, do you call it a download party? I mean, it's like how... I mean, we we, actually are holding the CD in our hand, but is that... Is there new terms? I mean, is this...
2: I call it a record release. I mean, there was a lot of discussion about whether we should bother making CDs. I like having something physical because... I feel like downloads, people say that that's what people do, but I feel like you don't know what happens. Like, I mean, you don't know if somebody's listening to the CD either, I guess, but I'd, I'd rather have a physical thing that I can hold and have later.
1: I don't want Apple telling me when and w- when I can't. Yeah. Listen <laughs> to my own damn music. Exactly. God, God damn Having it. Having it
2: disappear out of your library. You but it. uh, it's just, it's much easier for, you know, promo. It's much easier to actually have a physical thing tonight at the show. I mean, like... If you're selling download cards, people are like, "Oh yeah, download cards, great." That right. right. You know, well, it? I have a, to do
0: work. Yeah. I can't get in the car right now. and right. Listen to this on the drive. Although home. the
2: thing I'm finding out is everyone, these came in the mail two weeks ago, and I was like, uh, gave one to my fiance, and she's like, "I don't have a CD player." Yeah. And then I gave one to my, you know, other friend, and he's like, "I don't have a CD player." No, <laughs> literally nowhere I can listen to this.
1: Wow. But uh,
0: I do. I still have CD. But aren't players. they like 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 the latest, the next version of uh, of. Apple. Actually, can you put the CD right now in your uh, MacBook? I I cannot. Why? Because it does not have a CD drive in it. Right. You know. um, Wow. I still have it in the car, but you know who knows. Don't let go of that car. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm
2: gonna hold on. We might have got a thousand coasters, but
1: we'll
0: find out. We'll, <laughs> but find, art, out.
1: we'll find out tonight. The but. artwork is good because I like I like like having something tangible. Yeah. As Jacques knows, I like collecting things that are a little obscure, and then but I like having the physical copy of things, and yeah. even like just having artwork on mm-hmm. something. I mean, is that
0: is that the generational thing? Like, because because that's how I am. I mean, yeah. the, the the I have a friend who made a living for. 30 years and his expertise was he was a liner note writer for big bands big you know he was an editor he was a writer he did all that stuff Um, even through like the early you know 2000s he was writing the liner notes for all the box sets for the DVDs we did for the Universal groups it was an art and it was great to get it to read these little stories to see the pictures and stuff like that and and I miss I miss the days of holding record albums. Mm. Uh, that, that's like sometimes when you're 12 and you're going into let's say a Sam Goodies. What's that? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> one of our sponsors. Strawberries. Was, Goody got it. Goody got it. Goody. Goody's. Uh you you would literally see a, mo- <laughs> a Molly crew, uh, not a Molly crew. Uh um uh, Molly Hatchet Molly Hatchett album though when you were yeah you know 13 years old in the 7th grade in 1982 and saw a Molly Hatchett album you were like oh god I have no idea what this is yeah. but this is now my favorite band I'm bringing this home and I'm going to love it yeah. forever
2: I remember being like 13 being in Strawberries on Washington Street in Boston as a 13 year old, you're shopping for new music, you don't know what it is, and you're going by covers and you know what your impression of the record is. and I remember being in Iraq where there was the new Iron Maiden next to Working Man's Dead by the Dead, and I'm like, "Awesome monster, cool cowboys." Like, gotta, <laughs> what should I do? And I wound up with the dead and like, who knows where yeah, my you split the difference life and you got
0: would've... the village people <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it was fabulous!
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> All right, so so the, one of the first things you said is, like, over the years, there's been a lot of lineup changes, which we'll get to in a second. But as far as, like, lineup changes go, Spinal Tap, <laughs> documentary, rockumentary, comedy, or a tragedy?
2: All of the above. Yeah, it's, you know...
0: I mean, when you talk about lineup changes, it's one of the things I... When when I saw Spinal Tap in high school, Mm -hmm. it was the funniest movie ever. I watched it every day with my best friend in high school. Absolutely. A year and a half later, I'm in a band, and I realize there's nothing funny about this movie at all.
2: (laughs) No. And then it goes beyond that again, where it becomes there's no choice but for it to be funny again, because it would just be too tragic otherwise.
0: (laughs) And and so when you had lineup changes, so the same group's been together, you said about five years now?
2: Yeah, Uh, um... When I started the band, it was a trio. Based, I just found two guys on Craigslist that you know had nothing in common musically. Hey, Joe, you found
0: two guys on Craigslist too. Shut up.
1: But, um,
2: you know, it worked out okay for a couple years, but then as, you know, life started intruding, they were younger guys, and as they got married, one of them left, and then my brother was in another band at the time that was sort of on its, you know, ending days, the guitarist was moving to Vegas, so it so happened that our drummer left at the same time that my brother's band was ending, so my brother joined, that was like nine years ago. Right at the beginning, and then uh, slowly over the years, it was just like as people would leave because of jobs or moving or kids or whatever situation it was. It would be oh, I've you know been playing a couple years, and we have friends in other bands, and this guy's available, that guy's available. So through the years, it's sort of become a thing where we are now like a bunch of six friends that have all known each other from other bands and other things for a while, and uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. We do have a sort of spinal tapish situation in the bass category, is that we've. Probably had 19 bassists, even though our current bassist has been in the band for eight years. Any
1: spontaneous combustions?
2: He, he, he works as a carpenter and a cabinet builder. So at least once a year, he severs a finger or a limb or a bicep, bursts. or like It's insane the number of serious injuries this guy has had in 10 years. And but he has like the constitution of a horse and heals in like 2 months from these things that would like otherwise make somebody else you know crippled for life as far as base playing goes but in the times that he's recovering we've had to have fill-ins and it's just it, we've probably had every bassist in town play with us at some point or other.
0: Jay, I don't know what it's like having problems with a bass player in a band. <laughs> it's not like so so Dave Dave has, you know, Dave and I have played a number of shows together. L- you know, this is about Dave, so I'm not making it about us, but we've always that's always been I've always had the same guitarist and singer and I play drums, but over the 25 years we've truly had Literally had Dang. about uh, 12 bass players. And Joe, who's never played an <laughs> instrument in his life, there's been more than one time, and, and we're talking at like yep. Saturday night headlining gigs at the Rat, where it's been Dan, I, and Joe jumping around with an unplugged bass, which never hurt the Sex Pistols, which <laughs> is kind of where we stole the idea. And, and somewhere along the line, like I, I, when I was living in L.A., and Dan would come out to do shows, or I'd come back here, he's like, my buddy... You know, Dave's going to send it with us and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know Dave. I'm like, oh, yeah. Do I know Dave? Do I know <laughs> Dave? I don't remember anybody. And he's like, no. And he said, um, and, and this is, I'm not being a nice guy because anybody who's known me for more than five minutes, um, one of the reasons we have trouble keeping bass players is I'm such a prick. Uh, it's like, uh, Why don't you hear next week's co-host? Because he'll <laughs> probably kick
1: me out or <laughs> I'll spontaneously combust.
0: No, 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 it's not a matter of kick you out. Is it? You can't fry me because I quit situation <laughs> more often than not. Um, but Dan was like, the only problem with jamming with you is you're a much better musician. So <laughs> he's going to really take a step down to, to play with us. So that's how we've known and I don't know how many gigs we played, but it's been Very too long, long since rubbish. we have. Yeah, your brother is your drummer. Is it? Yeah. Is it interesting? Is it fun? Have, okay, how many times have you had a like Gallagher's situation, like uh, from Oasis? Where... It
2: never gets physical, um, just because we're both too lazy to fight. But, <laughs> but in terms of tension, it gets pretty high at times. Just you know, he's there's there's they say there's two kinds of drummers, uh, good drummers play the drums, bad drummers. No, what is it? Good drummers play the drums. Great drummers keep their song ideas to themselves. (laughs) He's a very good drummer. He has a lot of song ideas, which is good. And it it helps in the long run. But there's times where, you know, when you're trying to hammer something out and I have my ideas, how it should go? And he has his ideas, how it should go? That'll lead to some tension sometimes. But uh, it's been good. You know, we've sort of learned to work together pretty well over the years.
0: There's... um there's a great documentary. I, you know, I'm, there's a couple of great documentaries on the police. And I remember like seeing it and Stuart Copeland one time talking about the breakup of the police. And he said, like, you, you look like he had a solo career and he wanted more and more songs of his coming into the mix mm-hmm. and, as did the guitarist at this thing. And it was like, it is like, you know, we all had, you know, 10 songs on an album and I wanted two or three, three or four songs. And, you know, he wanted two or three songs. In. It goes, and, and you go back and you look at my solo career and what I've put out and you realize why most of the songs were stinks <laughs> you know he had like he's and he, and he had that awakening and it's the same you know when I jammed with Dan forever, there's early on I would have a couple ideas, and I mean just a line here or there that you snuck its way in. Uh, one time we wound up at the studio and had extra, like, an extra, like, three minutes of tape, so we made up something that about I think Rod wrote a song about donuts that I, I sing, and every time it comes up, I tell the boys, like, okay, this is the only song of the hundred plus I've recorded that is allowed to sing on. Here it is, <laughs> and it's awful. So, yeah, I agree.
1: That was your- your um, your octopus's garden, essentially. yes,
0: yes <laughs> it is. My, but but it's true. It's like if if everybody knows what they're contributing, that's good. And and I always tell people, it's like when people are like, oh, I want to learn to play drums can you count to four you can replace me in about two days of really working hard and drinking so but but have you ever had a moment where one of you has said this is why mom never loved you
2: <laughs> no not really we joke about that we will say this is, you ruined easter while we're talking about writing a set list or something like that but no i mean we're pretty cool we we actually like i we are friends as much as we are brothers and uh, as much fun as it would be to say that we battle. I mean, like, there's, there's tension for sure, but we get along and we work well
0: together. So um, are you guys more um, Spinal Tap or Rod Torfus our Zarmada featuring Herman Menderchuk? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, I'm going to go with Spinal Tap, I guess. Uh, how many people in the band have left over fighting over the same girl? Mm. How many guys have left the band for studying to go to the same guy?
3: <laughs>
0: All of them. Okay, that's <laughs> 2017. And how is the Boston music scene now? Because you, you've been playing shows since the early 90s. So you're talking three decades of playing shows. Yeah. And when we started back then I mean it was you, you, you are, are literally fighting to get opening gigs for bands like Buffalo Tom the Pixies and I was, this was the hub of, of yeah. shoegazer rock
2: it's definitely come a long way both down and up in different ways since those days I mean like I feel like back in those days, I, I, I guess I was kind of clueless and like just was happy to be playing at all. So I, I really, you know, I was sort of on my way out of the scene. I was about to drive cross-country. So I wasn't really part of the like hustling for the big gigs at the time. I just sort of was, let's rehearse a lot and play a gig every once in a while in those days. But um, for the last 10 years with the Rationales, it's really apparent. I mean, a lot of the clubs have closed. The big thing is just that sort of with the monoculture and everybody having whatever interests them available to them, nobody goes out like they used to. I mean, you can draw people to a big show, you can be on a show opening for somebody that's big, has a big crowd, you can stumble onto a big crowd once in a while if it's a magic night and they would just happen to be in the area, but it's not like it used to be where you could just count on people being out on the weekends at the clubs you really have to work to get people into the clubs. They have to be there because they want to see the bands that are playing. It's you know even like New York still is a little bit like it used to be here, where people will just be out because they hear there's music at a club and some of the smaller rooms, Toad or uh, Plowing Stars, that happens still. But there's such small rooms that it's hard to get a big band in there. But things like T T S Middle East, oh, you know, it's, kills me. It's the has gone so bad. The T T S mm-hmm. is gone. But the bigger clubs along those lines, it's strictly just what the band draws because there's no FNX anymore. There's no Phoenix anymore. There's no, you know, the dig is the dig and whatever. It's, you know, there's there's still a lot of people that are working and, like, promoting the scene, the radio
0: people, the... Uh, Blogs or you know, blogs okay, come but and go. Th- a couple of things. One of the things that I used to love that's dead is the print. The fan scenes were yeah. great. Yeah. And you would have, you would pick up a fan scene every time you would go to a club. There'd be three or four different fan scenes, some of them glossy and polished and well yeah. done. Some of them, honestly, almost out of like, you know, the the, the local college radio stations. Yep. Yeah. Xerox machine and stuff like that but they were great and they were a great way to promote bands great way to look up I mean and at the time and this is how old we are we're really dating ourselves Mm -hmm. um but literally, there was no like ghouling a new band. Like, you heard about new bands from these fan scenes and yep. from these. And, and one of the things that was great about the era that we came up with was college radio in Boston mm-hmm. and how accessible it was to bands. And one of the things that we used to do, and you've probably done, um, funny enough, through a comedy show that Joe and I did, we met um, a guy who was a producer at uh, Tufts University. Who uh, Paul Sarney, who would let us come in and play live? They had a live show, yep. and he had these great gear, great engineers. And before you went to the studio and spent an ungodly amount of money back then, like 25 bucks an hour to record, you would get a really great yep. feel of what was working, what wasn't working, trying new stuff mm-hmm. at the same time, getting some listeners. Is that scene still out there?
2: It is like, um. WMFO and um, Tufts is still doing that. They still have the Mikey D show, um, where they bring in full bands. And
0: that was the guy we show we played on. Yeah. We're talking twenty plus yeah. years. Yeah, he ago.
2: passed away actually. Along went like ten years back, fifteen years back. But they still do the show, and um, in his honor, the studio's name for him. And, but. Um, it's still there and it's still cool to do, you know, you lug your stuff up those three flights of stairs and play on the attic. Um, but you always get, like, a great sounding disc out of it. it, was great, and it it's right. really cool. Problem is just, like, internet radio, college radio. It sort of has segregated itself into you have ERS over here, which might as well be WBCN from 1990 in terms of how exclusive they are right. and how close to a commercial station they are. And then on the other end, you have the stations that are awesome and accessible to people but might not have the same listenership. I mean, like, there's still great local shows Sunday nights. There's WZLX has Boston Emissions, two-hour show every Sunday night that you know people are listening to because it's ZLX. You know, AAF still does Bay State Rock on Sunday nights as well. There's still stuff. It's like the the infrastructure that used to be there is still there. It's just – there's just – less people naturally gravitating towards it you know, like guitar rock just isn't what it was it seems for people
0: and at this point how much is this is still just fun and how much of it is work like you have all it will post it all we'll get it out of you like all the social media stuff so it's great that you the barrier to entry or, or the, the way to reach people is a lot lower I yeah. mean you used to have to really fight to get in a fan scene you used to really have to fight to get any kind of write-up in the Phoenix and stuff like mm-hmm. that but now you know it's a lot more accessible to get out there, but how do you get new listeners? How do you get people who you know it's it's still the friend to friend thing? Yeah, and you have all these social media. But how much time do you have to spend rehearsing, trying to get gigs versus the other end of it, or is it? It will take care of itself. We just want to do this. Where are you right now as far as that?
2: I mean, for us, it's definitely just a we love doing this. We're trying to make the best music we can make, doing it for our own benefit. I mean, we obviously want more people to hear it, and we want to get bigger and better shows and open for people and do all the great things, but that's not why we're doing it. Because if you're, if you're doing it for any reason other than that you love it nowadays, you're... You know, you see it. You see, like, young bands will come in and play the rumble in their first couple of years of existing. You know, who was it? Was it you guys who had the song about everybody's about to play the rumble and break up or get a record deal? Uh, I think Dan had a song that set that actually had those lyrics. Right. And that was 20 years ago. But, but in, you know, it's anybody that thinks they're going anywhere... <laughs> is either going to wind up sad or stopping at well, some point.
0: Well, Joe and I start this podcast for the quick money. Yeah, that's well, what it we're, is. It's we're quick, in quick money, for the...
2: Quick money and chicks. Yeah. But there's still a lot of reward to doing it. And the cool thing in the Boston scene is that the people who stick with it and the people who are doing it are sort of this own community of people that everybody knows each other. A lot of people go out to each other's shows and that's sort of a whole subset of it is you know, the Rumble now is more of a festival than a competition because you go for six nights in April and you see all the new bands in town for six nights but it's like everybody is there for those six nights and you're just hanging out and sort of all coming together and that happens throughout the year at different people's shows so the scene is really great and I feel like it's friendlier is sort of a sillier word but it's much friendlier than it used to be in that regard like what I remember from 91, 92, 94, whatever, when we were doing it then was, like you say, the barriers were much higher for everything, including the other bands you played with. You'd play a four-band bill, and three of them would be looking down at your nose at you because you weren't wearing the right kind of leather or the right kind of guitar amp or this or that. Now people are just like, if you're playing good songs and you're not a jerk, you know, then you can be in, you know?
0: I, I, I. I thought people looked down at us because we weren't sober and couldn't remember our own songs and half the time ended up doing 7 covers because that was the only thing that we could remember that uh, that might be true but it was also cool yeah it was a lot but so so the, so the scene is still there is it when you are you know whoever you're playing with tonight I mean you, you get a lot of like you know, we're not in our 20s right now, so when you see, like, young people in their 20s and stuff like that, do you want to interact with them after the show, or do you want to think, oh my god, I'd rather be doing anything but talking to somebody who's 20 right now? I don't, it doesn't even occur to me, that like, I've never been an
2: ageist person, we, I talk about this a lot with my fiancé, and just, like, in life in general, in terms of, like, office culture these days anything culture it seems like younger people are really aware of age differences like when I you know when I was 25 if I at work there was a 40 year old guy I, what do you listen to and if he said cool music then he was just cool to talk to like he wasn't like oh he's an old guy he likes old guy music you know what I mean it wasn't but yeah I mean in terms of the scene you very rarely I mean if you happen to be playing with a younger band there'll be younger people out they're not you know there'll be some who dig what they hear when you play and if you're doing stuff that's you know interesting to them then they're into it but uh it's not the situation of worrying about whether i'm talking to a 20 year old doesn't present itself very often (laughs) so
0: before we talk i want to talk about the new disc in a second but uh of the six guys in the band yourself included who is most likely to cry at the movie beaches Oh god um I've ne-
2: honestly never seen it. I don't know who else would have seen it. I'll say Chad just to bust his balls because he deserves it yeah okay he's, he's, the, he's the movie guy, so he's probably seen it. Tell me about upstream. it's our um, collection of seven new songs it's we um uh, recorded it last year. It was I don't know what about upstream um We're really excited about it. It We recorded at Q-Division in Somerville, which is this legendary local studio that everybody from Buffalo Tom to Morphine back in the day, to every, you know, it's high quality studio and the sound quality on this record is amazing. We're really psyched with how it came out sounding. Um, And some of our favorite songs that we play are on this one. We've been playing a lot of these songs live for a year or three and... uh, we all, you know, sort of we love these songs, and we see that people seem to like these songs, and we're really psyched to actually have decent recorded quality versions of them to share with people.
0: So when you play it, when you play it tonight, it's not a bunch of people. I want to hear the old stuff. They, they know because that <laughs> like that's the worst thing. It's like you know, and and it's the worst thing even for me. Like every time I get to jam with Dan, it's like I want to play these past hundred songs. These next hundred songs are great, but I don't know them as well. Do you have right. that, or do people?
2: No, I mean, the people that come to see us often know what we do, know what we're about. And like I say, we've been playing these songs for a little while already anyway. So it's not like there's any, you know, these aren't the old songs, but they're not exactly like the brand new nobody's heard them before songs. We have a batch of like 20 brand new songs that nobody's heard yet that we're uh, probably going to get right to pretty soon after this. But for our old stuff, we've been playing so long and so often, and you know, so many people have had the chance to see us that I think like they get that you know, well,
0: we've played the old stuff, and now we're playing the newer stuff. And other than the Middle East, which is your favorite club, which is who you're playing tonight, mm-hmm. what's your what's your like two other favorite Boston clubs? Two others, um, Old Worcester, I know. It Worcester's could change. Big. Could change any
2: day but i would say the lizard lounge is always a great room it's a small intimate downstairs basement kind of club only holds like a hundred people great sound great people love playing there um we've been playing great scott a bunch the last couple of years it's sort of the last of the bigger you know middle east tts sort of rooms tougher to get into. You play there less often than other places, but it's also good sound. You know, I mean, my favorite place is the Sinclair, but almost impossible to get into unless you're opening for somebody big, because it's a very large room.
0: And, you know. and what, what, what club do you, what are the two clubs you miss the most? TT's for
2: sure, and surprisingly, I never played there that often when it existed, um, but Precinct and Union Square... Turns out that that was always a really good room for us, just like something about the location and confluence of events. Whenever we played there, it seemed to be full, and people were always really into the show. That was a good room. Obviously, there's a um, stretch where somebody was doing shows at um, the Rosebud Diner in Davis Square, and that was awesome. She later went on to open the club radio, which lasted for a couple years, so that was a really cool thing that's that's over now as well, but... uh,
0: I still miss the rat. Yeah, like every time I drive by Kenmore, I'm still sad that there's like the condos there where that hole in the wall was just. It was such a classic, epic, yeah, fallout shelter of a place. Uh, so, so what? Tell us about the video that you did, like, Sim. For the new
2: record, we have a video up for uh, the song "Take a Ride with Me." which we had put out as sort of an advanced single about a year ago and we wanted to do a video with it because it was just a digital download at that point and we wanted to sort of, you know, get some attention to it and uh, have a video to go with it. And we just did it ourselves. It was sort of just a collection of footage of ourselves that we found on YouTube from gigs spliced together with... uh, some weird weird effects and some road footage since it's a driving song and then when it was finished I was like there's not really enough going on here so I put up a black sheet and just filmed myself lip-syncing the song which I <laughs> swore I would never take part in or do but uh
0: yeah so it's so
2: like loud. this sell out sell out video of me being Bono
0: <laughs> um, give us a social media rundown how everybody finds you we're
2: on Facebook obviously which is Facebook slash The Rationales we're on Twitter at The Rationales our website is TheRationales.com our uh, music, including this record, is it's available on iTunes. Um, it's available on Bandcamp. But if you go to our website, therationals dot on the front page, there's links
0: to all of our other web presence. And, and what's your uh, Social Security number and home address? There you go. Um, do you want to, us to play a song off of this? You want to play a song out? Um,
2: yeah, why don't we hear one of the songs on here if you can?
0: Yeah, what? Uh, so tonight, Middle East Cafe, uh, eight o'clock. Yep, um, go there. Well worth the time. It's it, it's that that's probably my favorite place that we've. Like play like I, I'd, I'd say TT's was my all-time favorite in the rap but the Middle East has always just been a yeah. staple. And and I was there a month ago to see a band. I'm like, thank God it hasn't changed at all. Mm-hmm. Like nothing about it has changed. It has like the same vibe. Still has the best falafel sandwiches in town, and I honestly mean that. And somebody who spent three years in the Middle East, I can tell you, the falafel sandwiches there are great. So so what song are we going to play on this?
2: Let's do "Climb the Ladder." Uh, right. a, it's a bit of a longer song. It's got a. This middle section where my brother sings lead vocals, which is a kind of unique thing for us. There's never been a song, I don't think, in our catalog where I wasn't the singer. So,
0: nice. Yeah, little duet. So, so he doesn't completely fuck it all up like he did Easter. (laughs) Like
2: he does everything.
0: Um, Um, All right, Dave, thank you so much for coming. Joe, you got anything? Hey guys, I just showed up. What's going on?
1: (laughs) What are you guys talking about? What's going on?
0: Uh, and hey everybody,
1: uh, that was uh, Dave Mirbel from The Rationales. And now we're going to take you out with, uh, cut off his new album, What Does That Say? To Play Us Out. What does that mean, to play us out? Hey, don't forget. You say I need to climb the ladder
3: And just look at the number one I'm driving home back to New Hampshire You wonder why